Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Nepp. Another fantastic day because I'm living in New Zealand. It is actually, there's peace in our country. There is, there are not so many things that can kill us, but mostly from our, apart from our stu own stupidity. So these are damn good reasons to be grateful. I love it. And I remind, I need to remind myself because I so rarely celebrate my own my own successes and so rarely celebrate the peace and be grateful for what is around us. So yeah, I guess uh, one of the things I need to work at. And there's so many things I need to work at because core beliefs are the thing that always, always, always tries to tell me, oh, I'm a failure. Um, who are you to, to do a show on the internet? Arr. Guys, if you were to hear the version of me that tells me these things in there, you would know that this is actually my worst enemy. So let's actually talk about these bloody voices today. Let's talk about our core beliefs that are often laid down at a very early stage and are often a heap of bullshit. But what are we doing? We're just still listening to it because we have no idea that there's such a thing like core beliefs. What the hell are you talking about, Stefan? Well, I thought instead of me um, describing it to you, I bring on a guest who actually has made it her passion, her mission to help others to change those core beliefs and actually turn themselves into better versions of themselves. So I'm so, so happy to have Christy Kilkup with me. Christy, welcome to my show. Thank you. Thank you really for this opportunity to create this safe space where, you know, we can have this dialogue really in hopes that we can expedite the results for your listeners who are also on the personal transformation journey. So thank you for this. Absolutely. Um, and I'm actually, it's very timely that we, that we too did that. I had a fortnight ago, I spent four days with Tony Robbins and yes. good old Tony. Um, yes. Good, he is a great guy and yeah. uh, it's, it's part of his theme. So therefore, if you guys ever get a chance to do actually do these 12 hour days, bloody hell, um, it's not for the yeah. faint hearted, but he actually helped me to some breakthrough. Now I'm 55, I think turning 56 uh, this year, and I'm still working on core beliefs that are so, they're probably 50 years old, half a century old for crying out loud and they're still messing me around. So these are insights I've, I've developed now. We, we, we give a bit of way already what we're talking about here, but bloody hell. But it took me this long to actually start working on it, seriously working on it, not just giving it lip service. Um, and I've got my reasons. Uh, what about you? What about you, Christy? I mean, no, no one ever wakes up as a, as a young teenager and says, you know what? I'm going to focus on, on, uh, on imposter syndrome. I'm going to focus on being a better woman by addressing my core beliefs. Said no teenager ever. So how, what were your teenager years like? So it actually really started at the age of three or four. Oh, and goodness. then, hmm. and yeah, and then, and I only learned about that from a hypnotherapy session, FYI, because 
what I remember is my teenage years and my adult years predominantly. So there was never any understanding of where these core beliefs came from. But from hypnotherapy, I was able to get down really deep into uh, the timeline of my life where these core beliefs really started. And it really started from my understanding is this argument that my parents were having that woke me up. And it was really pivotal because, I mean, a lot of us hear our parents argue, and that's not really what it was, but it was the interpretation that I made of that argument that basically changed the trajectory of my life in creating the core beliefs that, you know, you were just talking about. So at the age of three or four, when I heard my parents fighting, I decided that I needed that first of all, my parents were not competent enough to be parents and that my dad wasn't able to take care of my mom. So can you imagine a three or four year olds like my parents, this is not a safe place. So I need to make it safe as a three or four year old who puts on her superwoman cape and then decides that she's going to parent her parents and is going to control um, her mother's happiness. So you can imagine from that moment onward, it was make mom happy, explain to dad how he wasn't making mom happy, and then be the parent for both of them plus my brother. And that's what I did for all of my life. So the, the really the values that I grew up believing was that I needed to be the people pleaser. And, you know, as a teenager, and as a younger adult, that really came out in my work environment, um, you know, in, in, in essentially almost killing myself in order to receive the external validation that I was worthwhile. It came out in at home with my parents and my brother, where I was the black sheep and any of my family would tell you that. Yet my friends saw a different version of me. So while I was the instigator and black sheep at home, I was the passive quiet one people pleaser with my friends. As the black sheep at home, I needed to control what was happening in the house and my dad was the alcoholic. And later on in life, my brother became the alcoholic. And you know, although my mom doesn't admit to being an alcoholic, I'm sure, you know, if she were to look at all of the resources and materials out there that she would see that she too is also an alcoholic. But my dad would get angry. And as a three or four year old who decided that she was going to protect her family at all costs, at all costs to her, anytime my dad would come home, I could tell immediately he didn't have to open up the door I just got this vibe I knew if we were in danger or not in danger and I diverted his attention onto me and that became very 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 significant in my teenage years that's when we would fight that's when it became you know very intense and it was on purpose on my behalf, but on a subconscious level where I would just find this voice, find this beast inside of me and divert his anger onto me because my mom could not protect herself and my brother was younger than me and therefore could not protect himself. And at three or four years old, this was my job. So it didn't matter what the outcome was. It mattered that 
my dad wasn't yelling at my mom and my dad wasn't yelling at my brother. Didn't matter what he did to me. And then the third persona that I created as part of these coping mechanisms was this, you know, which, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, with these addictive behaviors is this sense of codependency, right? I needed to control everything and everybody. And this, this again came out in myself professionally, where you and I, prior to going live, we were talking about all of my different credentials. Um, and you even mentioned it kind of in your introduction about that, that, uh, what did you call it? I can't remember the name. Um, uh, imposter syndrome, you know, so it was through all of my schooling and all of my credentials that I started to feel like, okay, maybe I was worthy. Um, and that the more information I had, the more I could control the outcome of the situation, but I couldn't control it if I didn't have all of the information. And then also in family where with my dad, I would like somehow decide that his favorite drinking glasses, he used to drink uh, Crown Royal rye. If I smashed them, if I made a big scene, then he couldn't drink from them, therefore he couldn't drink. If I took his bottles and put them down the sink, if I hid his keys, he couldn't drive. All of these things, all it did was create more catastrophe. But in my head at the time, I truly believed that if I could create this chaos, I could control his decision-making and that it was my responsibility to do that. <laughs> oh, brutal. Right? Brutal. <laughs> yes. Brutal because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy oh. that it will not work out. No. Secondly, the one thing that your dad probably wanted was love and peace and serenity because he was fighting his own demons. When yeah. he came home, there was a reason that he was angry. Um, mm -hmm. It's not just, I, I strongly believe that angry men don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to really fuck up my child. I want to yeah. really have a, a row. No, they are, they are in survival mode, they're in, in stress and distress mode. And that's the last thing he wanted. Yet here you were meaning well, at least in a in a kind of perverted level. Um, yeah. And I can see where that went. Goodness. You yeah. created a hell for yourself and for him without knowing it. He's our last, we almost got into a physical fight. I was, I was like, I'm 44 now. And I think I was in my early thirties was the very last time. Like that's how long it took for that cycle of behavior to change. Now we didn't get into a physical altercation, but it was literally the very first time in all of my life from the time that I started to really protect my family where he recognized that he wasn't going to win, where he was afraid of me, where it was that flip of the switch where she's going to kick my ass and she can, and this is how she thinks she needs to protect herself and the family. And I think that that was super pivotal. And at that point in time, he was already sober. 
but our relationship still hadn't mended enough for me to feel safe around him where I didn't feel like I had to physically protect myself. Crazy. Wow. That is a brutal story. A brutal story because I can see all the conflict that was created there out of actually well-meaning. And it is it is harsh but all that as you as you pointed out that is happening at such a subconscious level so deep down inside you don't realize it yet because it is at such a subconscious level it's virtually a reptilian brain it's virtually fight and flight so you are constantly protecting yourself the people around you uh and that becomes your your main your main version um were you an angry woman were you angry no. and no it's really interesting because at home I wasn't anger it was really protection and when I didn't feel like I needed to protect when I felt safe I usually wasn't at home I spent a lot of time with two friends in particular uh, I grew up with one since the age of four mm. and her parents knew that my dad was an alcoholic and my babysitter knew and I learned later on in life that my, my best friend's parents were considering seeing if they could adopt me. Wow. But nobody ever did anything about it. And then I didn't know that they knew, but my best friend never knew. And then my other best friend in high school, she never knew either. I kept it really quiet. And, and in keeping it quiet, in 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 ignoring that part of that identity that I had, I was a really quiet person. And I wasn't angry. I was just extremely insecure. Absolutely. That's it, isn't it? Because that's what you become as a young person. Um, oh. So when school was finished, what happened thereafter? Yeah, so I was supposed to go to Wade University. And in the end, I decided not to. With the turbulence going on at home, if I went away to university, nobody was going to be around to protect my mom. I thought that would lead into something right? like I, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. It doesn't take a mind reader to know, right? <laughs> so I ended up going to school at home, um, like, you know, in my city. And what ended up happening is I started sleeping at work instead of going back home because it was just safer. I used to work as a lifeguard. So one time my friend who had an early morning shift found me sleeping in the first aid room. And it was then where she said to me, you know what, I'm going to be moving out on my own. Why don't you come move out and live with me? And so I did. And it was then that I started to create some independence and some separation but I still had all of these, you know, core values that were distorted. So, you know, as I finished high school, which by the way, I ended up with selective mutism during high school um, as a result of the post-traumatic stress uh, and other circumstances, it actually led to me losing my voice for a year and a half. And yeah, and then part of that has always stayed with me. So when I get really emotional, I have trouble speaking. So I ended up meeting uh, my future husband uh, and it just wasn't a, a good fit. But regardless of that, 
He had the financial stability I was looking for. He was older than I was, and he was familiar to me. And because he was familiar to me, I felt safe. You know, if we fast forward, we are no longer together. It was not a, a healthy relationship for either of us. And it was really only in the birth of my son where all of a sudden when I became a mom, where I was able to take a look at those core beliefs and go, hell no. I grew up all of my life feeling like my parents were not competent enough to be parents. That sure as shit is not going to happen to me as a parent. That was a full stop moment. And it was when my husband and I were fighting in front of my child, who was a baby, not even a year old. And I turned and looked at my son and I could visibly see him shrinking in his high chair like he was trying to hide. Now, in full context, my husband and I were arguing, we weren't yelling, so you know, and there was no, nothing physical or anything like that, but it didn't matter, right? The point was, as we were fighting in front of my child, in front of our child, and I could visibly see the effects that that argument was having on my child, which then of course made me think, like this isn't going to happen anymore. Like this is the one and only time where my son is never is not going to feel safe in his own home, and that's when I changed. Wow, coming yeah. full circle. Hundred percent, right? Mm. Yep. Having said that, I mean, I think we've left some bits out there um, sure. because whilst this was so beautiful, a beautiful story arc as far as your your core beliefs are concerned. There is, if, if this was a book, we have forgotten all the fun and games um, that happens sort of in the second stage of storytelling. So bottom line is, I, I think I recognize this young woman there that is trying to grow up. Now, a woman who is insecure and who is who doesn't really know often needs a bit of Dutch courage um, to go out there. What was your, your relationship with alcohol as a teenager? Hmm. I never started drinking alcohol until the age of 21. Interesting. Yeah. And I still don't drink alcohol very much today. I think I have it maybe three or four times a year at max. All right. So that's the legacy of your of your dad, um, seeing basically what was happening there. Therefore, this became a, a very, well, a, a poison chalice, uh, ultimately. Okay. Cool. So alcohol is ruled out, but you still want to escape. You still want to be that different person. So how did you achieve that? What what was your poison? What was your your control? Your... Control. Right. So and then you know my lack of boundaries with my people pleasing. Those were the the main two, and the only time the black sheep kind of came out or the instigator came out mm. when my son was born was whenever I felt like I was being dismissed as a parent. So if mm. I'm co-parenting um, and that co-parent, you know, dismisses mm. what I'm saying, mm. that's when I would get very angry really quickly. Mm. But mainly my, my codependency really stemmed around, you know, the, 
the number of times that I ended up in burnout at work because it didn't matter that I hadn't slept. It didn't matter that I physically was ill, right? It, it mattered that I got the work done, that my work was perfect, that I didn't disappoint. And it came at all costs. That was the people pleasing for sure. So that was so, your poison. You didn't become an yeah. alcoholic. You became a workaholic. Um, yep. You actually, your your addiction was not to to a chemical addiction, but a behavioral addiction. Um, yeah. Anything to external to... validation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, how interesting! How interesting! Mm -hmm. And that is, and I, I feel for you because it's exactly the same that I did. Um, I. I, yes, at some stage, I, I, I had so many fellowships and so many things. I think uh, for sure, I had more letters behind my name than actually I've got a name. Um, so and uh, yeah, and that was how I actually, if you would have won back time now 10 years, um, 12 years and ask, Stefan, who are you? And I say, I'm a pain physician. I'm a doctor. I'm an anesthetist. I know who are you? I've just told you, I'm a pain physician. I run clinics all over the North Island of New Zealand. I've got the biggest private practice. I have got blah, blah. I could have told you everything I did because I worked 16 hours a day. And that was the reason for that was that I didn't then have to deal with my own negative emotions, that I didn't have to deal with my own life because I could nicely hide myself behind the work. And maybe to a certain degree, that's still the case today. Today, unfortunately, it's not unfortunately fortunately it is creativity and it is it is all the, the beautiful things that i'm doing to live my life but am i still hiding to a certain degree probably yes i still need the external validation but to a certain degree that can be a good thing so and i don't think there's a core belief that i can ever 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 get rid of nor do i necessarily maybe want to get rid of that particular one um, that I feel good when I create things. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel validated. And that made me a very protective person. So that's maybe not necessarily something bad, but I still have realized where that actually came from, where what is the driving force behind this motivation to constantly be out there doing things. And because I now realize it, I can step back I can I can allow myself I to I'm I'm nowadays listening to my body, no longer going out there balls to the wall, go, 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 until literally I hit the wall. How many burnouts did you have in your life? I, uh, uh, I, I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I actually think it wasn't even a number of burnouts. It was just one long one, you know? For years. That's right. Yeah. Oh God. Sickness. Did you, did you get physically sick? Yeah, um, um, I did. I actually ended up with shingles twice. Ah, perfect. You know, perfect. That's a classic disease, isn't work. it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember calling into work. I'm like, so my eyeball is almost sticking out of my head. I'm going to the doctors because there's something wrong. And I call back later and I'm like, I have shingles. And I'm like, dude, you're in your 30s. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And then I'm like, you know, it just happens. And then I got shingles two years later. They're like, hey, so my doctor's like, you got to get the shot that we only give to 
older adults, but your immune, <laughs> like your autoimmune system, you know. Yeah. But if you are in a constant fight and flight oh, without yeah. knowing it, that's exactly what happens. I remember it is, I got uh, maybe once a year, maybe a bit more often, I got colds from hell um, uh, where I was virtually laid out, laid down and could, could barely think. And this was not a particularly nasty virus. Um, since I, I got sober and started working on me for the last eight years, I haven't had a cold whatsoever. Um, okay, I work on my nutrition and I work on myself. I work on my chronic inflammation in my body. I work on my bloody brain, um, mm. on my core beliefs and touch, touch wood. Um, there is, I haven't had a, a, a cold to talk about um in, in all this time and it just shows so much how our body is literally sending us messages it's a cry for help um to a certain degree and what are we doing we're not listening to it we're just yeah. blaming others blaming the world blaming a virus blaming whatsoever rather than taking control and taking ownership of what is actually happening in us. Now, ownership doesn't mean to say, oh my God, poor me, poor me, I had whatever happened in my childhood and now I'm fucked up and oh my God, oh, poor me. No, that's not what I mean. This is, yes, you need to realize it. You can choose to be in the victim role for a little bit. Um, okay, have a pity party, cool. I'm, I'm okay with that, but don't pitch a tent over there. This is, this is a very sad oh, place. I like that. Don't pitch your tent in there. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I mean, so when did that realization come for you? That is, when when did you start uh, going, when did you, when were you so uncomfortable in your skin that you actually had to take action? And how did yeah. you go about that? So... I think it was really just over the course of the year. So, you know, at 18 years old, I moved out and lived on my own with my, my friend. And I really started to understand what, what it was like to live under normal, less hostile conditions, you know, and I mean by less hostile and that there was nobody I was fighting with other than my own mind but I wasn't having to protect anybody. I wasn't having to be on. So it was kind of throughout the course of my life where that started to happen. Definitely the most pivotal moment for me was when I realized that my son was not gonna grow up feeling like he needed to protect me, but instead I was gonna be the role model that he needed. And he gave me the voice that I needed. And it was then where I you know, told his father that we were, you know, we were separating and I started to get help. I still didn't know what was wrong with me. And it took about five years of therapy plus my own transformation journey that I had to do on my own, right? And the hypnotherapy certainly helped to help me uncover some of the subconscious blocks that I had been so traumatized by that I didn't really. I didn't really know that they existed or, or why I was behaving the way that I was behaving, but it was the, through the therapy and through the hypnotherapy where I started to understand the triggers, you know, first of all, I started to understand that 
my emotional response where I would be fine. And then all of a sudden they go from zero to a hundred instantly, like what that easy button was. And one of them was definitely feeling like I was being dismissed. If I was feeling dismissed, then it meant that I wasn't competent enough. And you and I both know that if I didn't feel competent, then I wasn't going to be able to protect my child. So, so, and that was, it's not a direct correlation and it doesn't make sense, but that's what it was for me. So feeling dismissed meant that you didn't think that I was competent. And then I got angry quickly as a means to protect myself, to show differently. So, you know, it was just a lot, a lot, a lot of time in trying to unwind all of these distorted truths. I didn't even know I didn't like myself. I had no idea. And in therapy, we would start talking and I would walk out of the therapy sessions and I would tell my therapist that, you know, I didn't want to do this, that the the treatment that she was trying to do was stupid. (laughs) I deflected completely. And I'm like, I am totally piecing out, you know, and then like three weeks later, a different situation leading to the exact same problem would happen. And I'd call her up and I'd be like, okay, I'm ready. Let's try again. It just, it just took a really, really long time at picking at the iceberg that lived uh, underneath the ocean line, you know, if you will. Uh, uh, oh, I'm <laughs> laughing because it's, it sounds so terribly familiar. It also uh, describes my wife to a T. Um, and it is just, yeah, uh, she's, she has started her, her transformational journey. Um, but there are so many things that I just immediately recognize there and, and, and see what's happening. And but it's so hard. It is, it's so hard for us when we, when we start working and get these insights and then look at the people immediately around us and, and see what's, what's happening. And it's so hard to 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 deal with that because these are really insights that that each and every person need to get to to develop themselves. Um, having said that, for me, it means more often than not that I keep my mouth shut when she triggers me, uh, right, and that's yeah. not that that's not that I that uh i'm a wuss or or something like that any unmanly behavior no and i just realized where that shooting that that comes from that immediate it's like like a reflex honestly a reflex hammer knee and that's exactly what is happening something triggers my gorgeous wife and bang there she is 100 there's no there's no response and it's just it's interesting what you just told me your story that you described described me in the past and her more just a time shift there and it's so beautiful it's so beautiful to hear that because i bet you that anyone who is listening here will have the same experience hopefully and because if they yeah, don't i was a master a master at avoiding dealing with what made me uncomfortable. The second that I felt vulnerable, I would either put up the protective barrier or I'd walk away. Interesting. 
Interesting. And the work, of course, helps because then you can just work, 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 work. Yeah. So again, again, here you were, Mrs. Burnout. Uh, we can add that to your resume now too. Yes. Um, and that's great. I mean, I'm not, whilst I'm making fun of it, it is actually fantastic because that put you finally into that position where enough was enough, which actually allowed you to see the, the, the truth around you and more importantly, the truth within yourself. So that moment is, is like a new awakening. It's like a second birthday you should celebrate um, that really where your life restarted. But I love it that you say, okay, I took action, but bloody hell, it still took me a long time to actually get my shit together. So to expedite results for people so that they don't have to do what I did, which was like half of my life of trying to figure out how to how to move forward, mm. it it really still for me comes down to, and you just said it, you know, paying attention and being aware. So for me, it comes in the form of physiology. For other people, sometimes it comes in the form of the words in their head, you know, when mm. they're ruminating the thoughts. Mm. But for me, I can tell that I've been emotionally triggered because I'll feel it in my body. Mm. Because I've got or because I suffered from selective mutism, I still get this sensation of being choked. Mm. Uh, and I get this, this kind of heaviness in my chest mm. and this tingling in my body, like I'm ready to fight. I'm not in a fighting mood, which is the cortisol going up and all of a sudden, you know, my body's ready to, I'm not a flight and I'm not a freeze. I am a 100% fighter. You know, in taking Krav Maga, my Sifu would give us scenarios. Okay, so here's a scenario. What would you do? And I'd be like, fight. He's like, you're supposed to run. <laughs> you know, so it's just, I know. Beautiful. It's just, right? So emotionally, from a, from a physiological standpoint, as soon as I feel this kind of sensation of I'm aware, I'm kind of getting really focused I'm kind of getting a little antsy. My chest is getting tight. I can feel my throat starting to constrict a little bit. That's one of the signs where I'm getting angry. When I feel like I'm not safe, sometimes it's the physiological signs of anger. Sometimes it's the physiological responses, like when I was a little kid, where no, I just had to make myself small, much in the way that my, my son did. So I'll put my head down. I can't talk. Like I, that's where the selective mutism comes out where it's like you screamed at a concert and you try and talk the next day and you just can't speak. It, it's, it's that kind of constriction. So it's all of these physiological signs that I've learned to really get laser focused with. And because I can get laser focused with them in their early stages, in the first onset of them, I'm then able to go, okay, somebody said something mm. that likely makes me feel like I'm being dismissed or unsafe. Those are the two major triggers for me. They didn't do that on purpose. So this is me now having to go to kind of my step two, which is, let me just take a step back here for a moment. Let's back the truck up and go, I'm feeling this sensation this may not have to do with them trying to get me angry or upset. So let me just go, okay, this goes back. These sensations go back to my childhood, which is why I respond so quickly to them. Now that I know where they originate from, 
and I know the story behind them, is that the same story that this person is giving me? And that's whenever I get to move to kind of step three, where now that I've become aware and I've stepped back to take perspective, I can now respond without reacting. Mm. Now, sometimes in the work environment, where I'm the people pleaser, it takes me more time to respond. So I can't respond right away. Sometimes I have to say, you know what? I'm gonna have to think about that. I'll get back to you in a half an hour or give me the night, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Because my default response is to always say yes, right? But the physiology is saying that's that's there's something wrong there. Take this step back, give yourself permission and then respond, don't react. How beautiful is that, isn't that? Wow, what mm -hmm. an insight. That's because for the people pleasers, and many of us have that 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 feature that, yes, I want to be, especially if you seek external validation, you will do yes. anything to put a smile on someone else's face. Oh, just, you know, I know you've just done a 24-hour shift. Would you, mind, would you mind doing another night shift? Sure, right? sure. I can do that. Oh, you're such a great man. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're right. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. I hear you. Oh, man. So many things that, that immediately shoot from my mind. One thing I want to come back to you, Graf Maga. What attracted you to Graf Maga? Again, the physicality of it. The Anything that has to do with uh, protecting, I am 100% in. My, my uh, brother ended up going into cadets when we were young yeah. and nobody ever asked me if I wanted to go. And one day, you know, he's going and I asked the question, where's, where's Corey going? And my mom's like, well, he's in cadets. I'm like, well, what are they doing cadets? They're like, well, they, they, you know, run, do push-ups. They learn how to shoot rifles and climb rope. And I'm like, can I go? So my parents ended up signing me up. Anything. And Krav Maga for me was always just so ruthless. And if you were going to come up to me with a knife or a gun, okay, let's dance. That beautiful, is, and it's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. No. That was what attracted me to it because that was my default response. I was oh. a fighter. Now I use my words. Now I step back and now I know not to react. I can respond accordingly. I can respond by fighting if it's absolutely necessary, but I can also respond by walking away and feeling very strong in that decision. But for a very long time, that wasn't the case. That's beautiful. Of all the martial arts that you could have chosen, Aikido, right? which is more like a dance, judo, which is more roundness, and um, karate, heart, from, but probably unflexible to a certain degree. And you chose, nah, let's go straight for the jugular, which is Krav Maga. Yeah, and I love 100%. it. I absolutely love it. I've trained with Krav Maga. If, if there was, if we were in a bigger city and I could choose one thing, it would be Krav Maga. As simple as that. We Unfortunately, our trainer here left. Um, so there is no more training happening uh, anywhere close by, which I, uh, which is a shame. But I agree with you. Um, when it comes to, to us being fearful and, and motivated to be the protector yeah. for others, mm -hmm. um, it's beautiful to actually follow through on that. Because once you take the insecurity out, because you know exactly how 
to break a collarbone or how to to break an arm in order to stop the fight because that's what you want to do you want to create damage uh that stops the fight within five seconds anything longer than five seconds you you have failed really in a fight um so stop the fight there and then and if you can do by de-escalation and escape or, or restraining that's cool um uh, if not then you might as well switch the inner the inner bastard take the locks of the of the dungeon and let her out and um finish the, the dude uh, send him to hospital and then recreate a recruit because that's that's ultimately that's what you need to do in a fight to do this little yeah, bit I was no, always... don't 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 that's not nice i don't like that what are you doing no 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 bloody scratch his eye out and then that's the end of the fight um and it sounds brutal but ultimately that is that is how you can be effective once you know that and once you have practiced that and worked on that, that gives you a strength with which you then can work on the insecure person in you and can say, no, no, that's fine. Actually, I'll have that. Don't worry. You don't, just shut up in my head for a moment and you de-escalate because you've learned how to do that and you walk away from the fight or defuse the fight and the fight will never happen. That's beautiful. But it only comes because you've got the, the certainty that you know that you can fight and that you can do things that maybe others either can't or won't do. So now that's an intriguing thing. And it uh it it so fits into your all all your motivation, everything that sort of happened to you in your life. Goodness gracious. Okay. Yeah. I think it was I never saw myself as a victim. Yeah. And in so I always took the opposite approach where, you know, my parents were victims, right? Because I, at three years old, was saying they're not competent. So I need to take care of everybody. So I always saw myself as the protector. And so I was always drawn to doing hard things and physical things in order to confirm for myself that I could be the protector. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So you're definitely my hero. You're definitely my hero because you not only because you're a kick-ass woman in reality, number one. Number two is that you actually did the work to realize what motivated you to actually go down this route. And it is, I was I was involved in a in a gang assault. Um, so I ended up uh, being beaten up in an early age, age 13, wrong place, wrong time kind of stuff. But still, it messed me up forever. Um, and it took me a while to realize, a while, when I say a while, it took me pretty much 30 years uh, and then some to realize what really, how that has changed my core beliefs and, and the, the feeling that the world is not a safe place and that I need to be always prepared and et cetera talk PTSD beautifully disguised um but it took me it took me what now till about four years ago three four years ago that I ended up finally uh realizing it and that was the key moment when I was introduced to hypnotherapy um and I give the I let the cat out of uh out here it took me three sessions to deal with the PTSD yes. that I was suffering and that was highly highly efficient 
uh, from mm -hmm. any kind of approach. Because here you were, you were talking about the five years of talk therapy, uh, yeah. psychotherapy, which is great because it is, it is, you are saying something, it's being reflected to you, and you can start working with that. So there's actually sense behind it. And it's a very in-depth and very prolonged process. Um, and that's quite nice if you have got shitloads of time and shitloads of money. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, if you're, however, a bit more uh, solution-focused and outcome-focused, that you say, okay, I fucking hell realize I'm suffering from PTSD. Now, let me organize five years' worth of treatment. Nah, that doesn't come to my mind. So yeah. how did you get first in introduced to, to hypnotherapy? So you literally totally just opened that up for me. I love how you just did that. Verbatim, what you just said is why I got into hypnotherapy because, you know, I have been a life and health coach and I use cognitive behavior therapy because I do firmly believe that it's important for the client to really understand uh, that they have the answers, that they have the resources inside of them to move them in the forward direction. Mm. What I love about hypnotherapy was we can expedite those results in those three sessions. So I'm treating people for years and then I take my hypnotherapy designation and now I'm treating people in three sessions now per issue, <laughs> right? But all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? The self-confidence that I had, that I was missing at work to be able to ask for the promotion, to be able to say no and hold my boundaries, I've got that self-confidence now. Christy, it's like Jedi mindset trickery. And I'm like, it's exactly what it is, you know? <laughs> and that's right? why I charge how much I charge. That's <laughs> you exactly did not right. see my bill, you know, did you? <laughs> it ain't cheap and it's extremely effective. And if you want results... You know, you, you invest in yourself. Oh, yeah. I could not agree more. I could not agree yeah. more. It was, and it was, in all fairness here, guys, I, I need to go a little bit deeper in my stories there because uh, a friend of mine, around about three, four years ago, he was special forces uh, medic and he, he ended up in a nasty, nasty downward spiral very quick of his PTSD and was a bit worried about him. And he took a week off and he came back after the week and he said, looked me in the eyes and said, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be all right now in a week's time. I said, what the fuck? Because in my mind, I thought he is preparing a suicide plan or something like that. Yeah. And I sort of I tried to ask him and he said, no, no, look, I'm fine. Within a week, he was a different man. And I thought, what the hell? And uh, it is, and a bit before that week was over, a bit, when he initially said, hey, I'm going to be fine within a week, in my mind, I, I was saying, yeah, right, here you are. And I, in my mind, I was reeling off the, the signs and symptoms of PTSD. Ah, and the yeah, moment I sure. did it, I did it, I, I, I saw myself. Every single thing I mentioned, yeah, tick, 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 tick. That's actually me you're describing. And so that was a realization. And then I watched him suddenly getting better. I thought, how did you do that? Who did, what, who did you work with? And I put my money where my mouth is. And I found this yeah. absolute beautiful woman, Nikki, if you're listening, 
you're my hero. Um, so she's a hypnotherapist as well. She introduced me to hypnotherapy. And there was no mumbo jumbo. There was two, um, two hours of very informed, focused discussion. And then my first session. And it took me two more sessions. And suddenly my core beliefs became blatantly obvious there they were there in front of me i could see what was happening therefore my mind could understand how i yes. reacted how i responded etc i could see the the waves of anxiety as being messages uh from my body and i suddenly could interpret uh and reframe my beliefs around for example feeling anxious anxious and anxiety was for me a failure weakness i'm a fighter i'm a man i need to be a man at any one second a man and a fucking hell um uh, exhausting exhausting and no surprise that i i ended up with alcohol because finally it, i could i could decompress and i just say oh, yeah. i don't need to be a man anymore i can just drink and suddenly i could smile and suddenly i could laugh and suddenly ah uh, suddenly i could just in my in my mind be whoever i wanted to be i didn't need to be the fighter anymore now that was you know it took me what 40 years basically Oh, 30 something years to come to that point and then three sessions suddenly it was all laid bare and it's just beautiful and that's exactly what you're doing so the rapid transformational therapy is indeed right. um is indeed taking going straight well, like Krav Maga, this is straight where the money is. Yes, yeah, you can. Really. That's a great, yeah. <laughs> yeah I can. love that direct link because it's true to form, right? In terms of my personality, let's just do it. Exactly. Yeah. None of this. Okay, we could do 15 rounds of three minutes right? and dance around each other a bit. Or we could just finish that fight, shall we? <laughs> yeah. So, which is beautiful. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, so when did that breakthrough happen for you? How long ago was that? Uh, I'm going to say, so the breakthroughs are continuous. I'm constantly a work in progress, but I would say the latest one that I just had was probably six to eight weeks ago when my son and I got into an argument. He's 14. Uh. And I am really learning as a parent how to relinquish control. So as a 14-year-old, he's becoming more independent and I'm being asked to trust him more. And we've got an excellent, excellent, excellent relationship. And despite that, I still catch myself trying to get him to do what I think is best for him trying to mirror the things that I didn't have for myself. And so he's he's conscious enough about uh, the coaching because I've been doing it for a while that he coaches me and he's like, here's what I see, you know, here's how I'm feeling. Um, based, on, based on your responses, mom, this is how I'm feeling. Um, this is what I would prefer. What's, what's like, what's common ground here? And, that was the latest one. And I broke down and cried because I was 
really making him feel anxious because I was asking him to be somebody that he wasn't. And I was making him feel like I wasn't comfortable with who he was as a person. And when we actually got to have the conversation, he realized that it was just my insecurities and it had nothing to do with him. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What insights. Yeah. What insights. Yeah, so oh. This is a trip, like 100%. Raising a teenager where you're really trying to <laughs> oh dear. walk that fine line yeah. is a real trip. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it is what it is. That is, of course, one 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 way of looking at it. But what I was really looking at is is your journey of transformation, which started with a bang uh, at uh, fourteen years ago. But as you said, this is once you make the step towards change and into the light, once you leave the darkness behind you and and actually start working on yourself, this this will never stop. And this oh. is such a beautiful thing. So guys, don't don't think for a moment, oh my God, it will never stop. No, it will never stop because you get to reinvent yourself. You get to be a new person and your healing comes in layers. There will be times that you focus on one aspect because that that is maybe really what is important for you then and there. Then you think, oh, I've done it now. Hey, that's cool. And you might even stop in, uh, at least in your conscious going and etc but inevitably new shit will happen that's what life is all about and life is chaos and uh it's the question do you want to dance in the rain or do you want to complain that it rains um that is a bit uh, the key thing so our our willingness to adapt to change but more importantly once you actually start changing especially when the change is implemented by you or facilitated by you when you are actually a driver in that crazy roller coaster of life rather than a passive oh my god i don't know where this is going once you become the driver you actually choose okay i could take that exit or that exit or you know what i can actually take on new skills, learn new behaviors, which might act as a break on this crazy roller coaster, or even allow me to freeze time for a moment, actually step off the roller coaster, and actually just say, actually, no, I want to have some serenity, because otherwise I'm going to burn out now. And, you know, that is, these are all things that are waiting for you guys out there. So this is what recovery really is. So and when recovery is, is a term that is used after, after sobriety or is parallel with sobriety or after addiction. But uh, this is, my show is so much more. And my, because my story, my transformation is so much more. It is me becoming a man, me now living a life that is so beautiful that, that, I that I don't want to numb it. I don't want to escape this reality because I actually love it, warts and all, just as much as I love myself, warts and all. That doesn't mean to say it's always easy. Oh, for crying out loud, there are days when I just want to, or when I just want to curl up in a ball and just feel sorry for myself. That's okay. But nowadays, I'm the driver. I'm no longer like Pavlov's dog, you ring the bell and I go, drool. No, I'm actually conscious. It is like you're saying, and, and the way you describe your son, oh, Christy, the, the, that he's got that awareness of him being angry and him actually putting a quick stop on it, jump off the, off the roller coaster, say, look, mom, 
actually the way you respond that made me feel like that fuck that's gorgeous that's gorgeous rather than the knee-jerk third world war fight between parents and teenagers and i think that's that's what awaits those of us who are willing to take a long hard look in the mirror and accept that enough is enough and that they're now willing to change and they're willing to take action uh wow uh, that is a beautiful beautiful story christy there's this is wow just i don't know how many times i said wow now in this interview uh because i get so many so many breakthroughs in my own head where i'm sort of thinking oh yeah oh oh yeah so guys if you want to to maybe come onto this journey it, what exactly stops you No, I can't hear it. I can't hear it. What stops you? No, there is nothing that stops you. So if, if Christy actually gels with you and you really want to get hold of her, Christy, where can they find you? So the best way to reach me is going to my website at versionofyou2.com and it's the number two. So versionofyou2.com. And you'll see that I work with women for weight loss and I work one-on-one -on -one with um all, all people to help them really work through mm. the trauma and the fear that keeps them stuck. Mm. And that's such a powerful thing. You are working on a, such a deep level that inevitably there will be change happening. Oh, it yeah. Is, in all aspects of their life, too, which is phenomenal. Isn't it? It's yeah. inevitable. Um, yeah. It is not an easy journey, guys. So don't just expect so genie coming out of the bottle and say, we grant you free wishes, whoosh, and everything is fine, you know? Um, the free wishes come with actions and realizations and, and a lot of soul searching. <laughs> but if you, you really... said it best, taking responsibility. Oh, exactly. And taking yeah. action. So yeah. these two things, being the owner of your life, being in the driver's seat, becomes mm -hmm. literally a complete new meaning for you because you're actually doing it. And that is powerful. That's beautiful. And hey, that is waiting for you guys. So guys, Christy and I have, have been able to do it. So look at us you know really not the, not not the sharpest knives in, in in our in our drawers um come on if we two numbnuts can get ourselves sorted this is what about you you have a real fair chance can i say that okay <laughs> so christy you're a gorgeous woman you're an amazing kick-ass woman uh and it is lovely how you were so authentic and and beautifully honest and shared where you came from because that that journey is so beautiful so thank you so much i mean i'm in awe i'm i'm humbled uh to have you on my show you can come back anytime there's no two ways around that <laughs> christy thank you so much cool and you guys out there live of passion this is nothing that possibly could hold you back. Look after yourself. Go out there right now. When you stop this video, just go down there, press the subscribe button, um, press the like button, and then tell your friends about it, okay? Because ultimately, I'm here to make this, this 
this world a little bit better, one interview at a time, one project at a time, and life is too short. So let's work all together. So if we all make a minute little change today, maybe five minutes of different behavior, and tomorrow again, five minutes of a different behavior, and tomorrow, the day after, again, do you think your life will change? I bet you it will. Compound interest is a is a beautiful thing. So guys, go out there, live with passion. I believe in you. Bye.